Episode 403. Lead right and don't be a jerk. Jordan Goldrich. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Lewis Walker, founder of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one personal leadership podcast network that is also a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tows and Tactics to Thrive, and also a TEDx talk, Awaken Your Alpha, How to Rise Up. You can see a theme here, but please do check these out. If you like the talk, if you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is the best of the best, and it's available on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. Get to the podcast. Okay, this week, it's all about no BS on this show. Always, but definitely today, we've got Jordan Goldrich on the line. He's executive coach and author. He's the author on that note of Workplace Warrior, people skills for the no bullshit executive. So Jordan, I mean, I could do your bio for a while, but I want to jump into it. Are you ready to awaken your alpha today? I am ready. I've been doing jumping jacks. I've been, because we're on a different time zone, you know. Yes. Well, we're going to touch on that, but I mean, is there anything you'd like to first add or highlight to that very brief introduction by me? Well, Years ago, I lost a job as an executive because of my, I guess, alpha type personality. And um, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and uh, connected with what is it about alphas? What is it about people who are experienced as abrasive sometimes or even bullies? And that tends to be alphas. Uh, What is it about them that makes them that way? And I needed to come to terms with my own upbringing and behavior and all of that. And I made the commitment to change my behavior. And now I help people do that. So I help top executives who are getting called bully, jerk, and other interesting names. I love it. I've got your book here, which, you know, is a great book to especially to start a discussion here as well. I've met you in person a couple of times coming from a very unique perspective and like you hold your hands up and maybe you was a little bit a little bit blunt at times in your history, <laughs> even too blunt. And now you're, you know, you're helping other people who maybe are still in that phase or who it's not helping them basically. And obviously they want to, you know, they want to do right. well. Talk to us about your origins. Where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to us from today? And, you know, a little bit about how you got to this point. You touched on obviously some of the journey there. Yeah. So I was, I was born and raised in a city housing project in New York City which was built for returning World War II veterans. So it wasn't, I don't know, have you ever seen the, the movie Fort Apache, The Bronx? No, I haven't. It, it's I, a fairly old movie. movie. It was a fairly yeah. old movie. It was about a city housing project in the Bronx where people are shooting at each other. And okay. that, was not, that, that was not my, that was not my uh, uh, environment. We had working class people, um, by the way, one of the, I, I rarely mention this, but for some reason or other, I'm feeling like doing it this morning. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar lived in my building. <gasps> I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm a big basketball fan. So. Yeah, see, <laughs> he was big Louie in those days. And I still remember he was in high school and the whole projects went down to watch him play at Madison Square Garden. And by the way, he didn't know who I was. I, I was the little kids. And yeah. 
but although one time I did play on his stickball team. <laughs> That's very cool. So anyway, uh, working class folks, very uh, process, not process oriented, but results oriented, very direct. And I came from a family that was loud by even New York standards. So I, I developed a very, very direct style and did well throughout my career, although I had a couple of therapists, managers, mentors tell me that I needed to be more tactful and diplomatic. I was the chief operating officer of a small healthcare company, which we built from four employees to about 65 and somewhere in the neighborhood of an 800% revenue increase and sold it to a large nonprofit insurance company. And I got brought on and three and a half years later, I was sitting in my office and my boss called me and said, would you come down to my office? And I said, sure. So I came on down and sitting there with her was the vice president of human resources, whose office was three and a half hours away. And being the fast study that I am, I knew this was not a great thing. And they proceeded to fire me for mismanaging my budget. So about a week later, I was in, the, in a coffee shop and the woman from the finance function who had been my consultant on my budget came over and said, Jordan, I owe you an apology. And I said, why is that? She said, well, you know how you kept telling me there was something wrong with your overhead and I kept acting like I had no clue what you were talking about? And I said, yeah. And she said, and you know how you asked me for a breakdown of your overhead and I never gave it to you? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, our boss told me that if I gave you that overhead, I would lose my job. Oh, so a little bit of a kick in the gut, but not so much because I knew she didn't like me. I knew she wanted more deference from me. And for a variety of reasons, I wasn't giving it to her. So hmm. Sitting out in my car in 90 degree heat, I realized I had this incredible opportunity to be, to feel victimized for the next 10 years. And I hate feeling victimized. So I decided to do what I, at the time, taught my counseling clients to do. And then now executive coaching clients, it, it, when stuff like this happens, is figure out what you controlled in the situation. And again, as I said, I knew I I knew she wanted more deference and I had been told before I need to be more tactful and I hadn't mm -hmm. acted on it. So why hadn't I acted on it? And this is what, where we get to with alphas and with people who are labeled bully or jerk, et cetera, is that I had conflicting messages in my head. Mm. One message was I should be respectful. My parents thought my parents were very respectful people of other people, all ethnic backgrounds or genders or you know whatever they yeah. everybody should be respected on the other hand i had one of those families where if you if you weren't making sense you didn't deserve respect and so i had <laughs> i had <laughs> i still remember uh, sitting at the kitchen table um with my uncle the psychiatrist my father the podiatrist my mother the uh dietitian and my aunt the teacher and I decided I'm 12 years old, it's time to express a political opinion. And my uncle, without missing a beat, looked at me and said, Jordan, you're a moron. Now, I, I, di I didn't think for one second that oh, Seymour man. thought I was a moron. Um, Seymour loved and respected me and I knew it. It was just my family's way of saying you haven't thought this through. So, you know, that's been my style. Was, was that how you spoke to people in the, uh, in the office? <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, I never, I never called anybody a moron, but trust me, in my, curious, early, in my earlier, no, 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 I didn't use demeaning terms. <laughs> okay, I was just wondering if you went straight. From no, that. no, 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 no. But, okay. but I had, I had this tone. You knew, you knew when I thought you were an idiot that you. I was going to say you might as well have been saying that by the sounds of it. Some of the, right, by the right. sound of the tone, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, part of the reason I got away with it was the other half was that uh, for so many years was that, um, you know, my parents really wanted me to love people and care about them. And so at one point I told the uh, administrative staff when I was in the company where I was COO, listen, I know I can be really difficult when I'm stressed, when I'm, you know, if I'm coming across sarcastic. So if you think I'm being disrespectful, give me the time out. Oh, good idea. And, and they and they used to do that. And then I had to say to them, I don't know that I'm actually going to change my tone, but I'll hear you, and I promise you, I will never punish you for that. And actually, it it's one of the things that I do when I coach executives who are getting called bully is mm. you got to admit it and give people the the permission to let them know. Yeah, you know, to let you know that you're being obnoxious. When you mentioned about sarcasm, I, I don't know if it's because I'm English and obviously I, I taught in schools for 10 years. I know I was probably a little bit too sarcastic at times. Like, mm. I, yeah, I definitely lent that way in um, situations where I'm just like, you know, face planting with students, teachers. I would lean towards my friend's sarcasm to get through it and enjoy myself. <laughs> and thinking back, yeah, once or twice, you think, yeah, maybe. Because again, right. a lot of times sarcasm doesn't always land as in the person doesn't realize you're being sarcastic right. which right. which entertains me more but again maybe if you're trying to like get better together is not the best idea in some scenarios exactly by the way is it okay if i ask you a question yes so, yes so, so i've been following your uh ted talks and your awaken your alpha a bit and obviously we've met a couple of times I'm curious if you have any of that similar history as you were struggling to be in the Olympics, as you were working at it, were you, were you a, were you one of those people who would annoy other people because of your tone? <laughs> well, like I just touched on there, I, it was more the sarcasm, definitely, okay. definitely a sarcasm in general. Um, and I, st I still like to be sarcastic. Um, cause a lot of times, as I said, no one even knows what I'm doing. <laughs> like it just, it just doesn't land. Um, but also I suppose when you're so tunnel visioned, if you're, you know, talking about being an executive or in that scenario, trying to, you know, get to the Olympics, um, there's an aspect of you that doesn't really care what people think because right. you're so focused on the outcome. So, right. and, and again, I'll be honest now, I don't, I don't think I was, um, disrespect for anyone definitely i am still sarcastic but also if i was naturally more inclined that way it wouldn't have been a big concern of mine because i was focusing getting on to the olympics for example right. so in theory if i got to the olympics and i was not that i was and i was like an obnoxious jerk that wouldn't have been my focus or concern i would have been like hey i got to the olympics um, yes. but i was i was happy about the way i was going to it especially because i worked in uh, you know with under 18s Yes. sarcasm rightly so they're they're not adults so sarcasm the ones that did get it we you know we had a great time right but again i i get that some of them it would have gone over their heads um right. which you know it is what it is because then it, they're not offended because they really didn't get what i was on about but yeah so it's it's no it's an interesting one i would say i went more down the sarcasm route because especially in schools as well you know and i did start more in an old school kind of era where 
you know, you could be a little bit more blunt with students. Yes. And even in my time, in 10 years and different environments, I noticed that definitely was changing. Yes. As in, you know, if you were very, very direct and blunt, in, a, in a, almost a rude manner, you could say, that um, a lot of students would not take it. Right. And right. and because you know it's that that power shift that they're like, wait a minute, you can't talk to me like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas less and less, when I was at school, whatever a teacher said to me, I'm not going to be like, hey, you can't talk to me like that. I'd right. be like, okay, like if you want to be rude, that's that's kind of your thing. That's that that's on you. And like, I get the you know the pecking order. I'm I may not agree with what you're doing, but you know I can deal with it or speak to someone later. But I definitely noticed that transition. So yeah, in that sense, and we still even now like. I think with, with my children, I do think there's a time for a, a very stern voice. Yes. Um, that maybe some like a, whoa, that like, you know, it gets attention, but sometimes there's a conflict of, is it, is it too much or is it yes. not enough? So yes. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. Personally, it took me years to achieve my TEDx talk, but since then I've created the Talk Accelerator and want to share my thousands of hours of expertise with you. Now you can secure your very own TEDx talk within the next year. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. What is your idea worth sharing? I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to speak with you very soon. Get to the podcast. Yeah. It, by the way, it's partly cultural. So mm. some of what's going on, I think, with people who get accused of being abrasive, bullies, etc., is that they come from ethnic backgrounds or, nation, or, or countries or regions of countries where people are louder. So, for instance, I was coaching someone who was uh, born in Brazil and was now working in Germany. And most of our coaching was done virtually. So he was telling me about how people, in, you know, the people in his office speak badly to him, speak disrespectfully to him. And we spent a, a little while digging in around, is it just the way they speak? Is it the German culture versus the Brazilian culture? Mm. Or is it aimed at you? And he went away with a uh, homework assignment to listen to how they talk to other people. And he realized it's really not about me. It's really the culture. It's just how they talk. That's a great point. My, um, when I was like 20, I, um, joined, I was working at a gym, um, between university in the summer and stuff like that. And South African, a South African company bought up this big gym chain and they swooped in South Africans filled the place and all the management roles. And my goodness, that culture as an English person, I was like, Whoa, yes. this is rude, man. This is like, wow. But it like, clearly it was a way, it was a culture thing of how they do it. And they've just right. literally taken their culture and just taken it all the way to England. And just, cause there was enough of them as it were, that was how they operated. But for people kind of, you know, I was, you know, just working there in the summer, like in the gym, gym guy or whatever. It was like, Whoa, you know, yep. this is a, this is a culture shock. Yes. So there's, there's a big piece of it that, that really just has to do with where do you come from. When I, mm. when I go back to New York now, everybody thinks I've lost my edge. Out here, they still think I'm tactless and you know, not diplomatic enough. <laughs> you can, so yeah, you, you, just you can't win. 
Yes. <laughs> but um, I want to touch on something you sort of even a whole section in your book, you know, reasons for doing the least you can do. Can you yes. explain what you mean by that? And that whole, because it's not a chapter, it's a whole section. Yeah. Well, the least you can do has a double meaning. So most of the executives that I coach think that the request or the demand that they change their leadership style is politically correct bull. And that we live in an overprotective culture, that it's cultural, that it's not anything wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I partly agree with them. So one of the things that I, I say is, look, if, I, if you think this is all politically correct and it's all about protecting your job, your butt, et cetera, et cetera, I will show you the least you can do to protect yourself in our overly protective society. But there's another meaning to the term, the least you can do, which is uh, it's the right thing to do. And so, for instance, if you were uh, standing in the street and a person in a wheelchair asked you to help them across the street, you would do that. And if they wanted to pay you on the other side of the street, you would say, no, it's, it's the least I could do. It's the right thing to do. Yes. And so one of the things that I try to do is demonstrate to people who are alphas, who care, who are frustrated with the people around them because they're not as committed to results, because they perceive them as lazy, they perceive them as not honest that um, it actually would be an authentic thing for them to do and the right thing to do to work on changing their tone so that they're speaking to them with compassion and with respect. And so th that's the two meanings. And so this is an opportunity, I don't want to go on too, too long, but this is an opportunity for, tel for telling you why it's the right thing to do. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, it's the right thing to do, number one, because most of the people I know who are abrasive are very either religious or spiritual and believe that there is a higher spirit operating in their lives. So the question then becomes, if you do believe that there's a higher spirit or God is acting in your life, why do you think that God put these lazy, you know, miserable people around you? Could it be that the task is for you to learn compassion, respect, love, and forgiveness. So that's number one. Number two, just in a nutshell, there's a lot of research on this, but um, years ago I heard a uh, biology, I think he was a professor named Joel Barker speak, and he talked about the fact that uh, Charles Darwin did not say survival of the fittest, he said survival of the fit. And so a lot of people who are alphas think about survival of the fittest, meaning whoever's the toughest, whoever can beat someone up, whoever can win, you know, that's, re that's really what evolution is about. That's really what we're all about. And what's, what Darwin meant, as I understand it, is it, it's really about adaptability that we need all kinds of, you know, certainly in the workplace, we need drivers, we need warriors but we also need people who are connectors. We need people who are um, analysts. If you get only warriors in the room, things fall apart. You need all of those pieces. So part of the reason to develop respect and compassion for people who don't have the same motivation, drive, et cetera, as you do, is that if you don't do that, your teams won't work and you will not do well. And in fact, you will probably fail. Yeah, I love it. 
I mean, on that note, I really want to kind of start dive into the alpha round as well. Cause I want to get some specifics from you around sort of these questions. I mean, for you, I mean, I've got your book in front of me. It's a quality book, but was there a particularly impactful book for you at a certain stage in your life or just a, you know, all time favorite one you like to recommend? Well, I, I think the book that I would most recommend was written by General McChrystal, who was the head of the, um, our effort in Iraq, our effort, the United States effort in Iraq. Uh, during the Bush administration, and he was a Navy SEAL. And I did not serve in the military, but I have been uh, volunteering for an organization called the Honor Foundation, which helps Special Operations Forces, Navy SEALs, Green, Green Berets, etc., transition. And I started looking at the Navy SEALs ethos, and I'm, I'm going to read some of this because I don't have it completely me memorized, but mm -hmm. there are things in it like, I have an uncommon desire to succeed, I take charge. Well, actually, Jordan, I just want to say, because I also asked, which you may be going into, a personal or a favorite quote of yours, because it sounds like this could be something there or something that sums up your life. Ah, okay. I'm sorry. No, no, so, as well. So, I mean, that, oh, it's almost oh, like well, Okay, up. yeah. Well, so let me, let me do that. So, I, I yeah. take charge, lead my teammates, accomplish the mission, demand discipline, all of that. But towards the end of the ethos are things like, I humbly serve. I protect people who don't protect themselves who can't protect themselves. And the aha that I got was that most of the people who talk about abrasive executives and alphas call them names mm. and tell them that they should change because they should be better people. And it hit me that, no, these are warriors. We need them. I'm going to challenge them to be better warriors. And sometimes I think I've got a lot of nerve doing that since I didn't serve myself, but it seems to work. It seems to work that people who are alphas like to get challenged to do better as opposed to be told that you should do something because there's something wrong with you, that sort of thing. Um, I think my, f I have a couple of favorite quotes. Uh, the two that I'll mention, one is um, General, ah, I'm blocking on his name. Um, anyway, the quote was um, leadership, is a combination of, uh, oh, I'm just blocking. <laughs> do not I worry. If it, it pops in, no, when it pops into your head, which it will do as soon as we stop, yeah. stop the thinking other one about was it. The, the other one was the Dalai Lama, which is, if you want others to be happy, cultivate compassion. If you want to be happy, cultivate compassion. Awesome. Well, if the other one pops in before we're done, let me know. I will um, do that. I want to talk about, Actually, I want to actually, if people want to continue the conversation, because this time is just flown, what is the best way to connect with you to do so? Well, you can connect with me through, you could get an, a, a complimentary free excerpt from my book at workplacewarrior.com. And if you want to uh, learn more about me, you could go to workplacewarriorinc.com. And that would be the two best ways. Perfect. And I want to finish this, though, with something that I think could be really useful to the listeners. I mean, in your book, towards the end, you've got a self-test. Are yes. you abrasive? Yes. Is that possible to do over a short version or a concept for someone who's listening, thinking, actually, I wonder if I'm a bit of a jerk or am I too abrasive yeah. or am I not, you know, not, do we not stand up for myself enough? So can you... Uh, well, on the, on the low end, do you constantly or often talk with sarcasm and uh, frustration? There are things like, do you slam doors? 
Do you uh, berate people in public? Those, those sort of things. And it, everybody does that on occasion, but if you do it on a regular basis, by the so, way, so, if you Again, can we quantify it? So if someone's listening, I mean, is there just like a very, I know it's gonna be more in depth and I have to get the book, but is there like, if you, I don't know, if you slam your door like once a week, you are a bit too abrasive. Or if you like, <laughs> you sarcasm like once a day, you're like heavily, you're too, I don't know, you tell me. Okay, so it's different in different cultures. And if you really okay. wanna know, you need to ask. So one of the things I do with executives is something called Feed Forward, which was developed by a guy named Marshall Goldsmith, one of the top coaches in the world. And that is you go to people and say, you know, I got some feedback that I, I'm a bit abrasive. And my goal is to have respectful relationships. Do you think I'm working on the right thing? And you can't argue with them. What you are doing is an internal market research. Mm. And so, by the way, I, I highly recommend that, that you- That sounds a great exercise, yeah, by the way. I yeah. If you Google feed forward Marshall Goldsmith, it's like a five or six page paper. He gives all of his stuff. What a resource. Complimentary. That's perfect. Wow, brilliant. I mean, around this whole concept, because we're coming to the end of our time, is there anything else you'd like to get off your chest? Because I, I feel like we're just touching you know, the surface, which is brilliant. Uh, so is there anything else you'd like to add? I think, I think the summary is we live in, kind of, in times when there are conflicting messages or paradoxical messages. One is drive results, be the best you can be. And the other one is make everybody feel safe and comfortable. And I think both of those things are true. I think there's no excuse for demeaning, disrespectful behavior. And at the same time, people who are oversensitive need to be able to handle it and separate their self-esteem from how somebody else is dealing with them. So both of the, both, those are the conflicting messages and both of them are true. Yeah, I mean, so many of the skills we've been talking about and, and just topics are so useful to enhance people's everyday life. It just you know, filters over everything. And one of the things that caught my eye as well, I mean, I don't know if we have time just to, talk through even just the, the steps, the seven steps to a full apology. Cause you know, I know yes. all of us give apologies and receive apologies. And so many times I feel like that apology is not hitting how you want it. And yes. also if someone's giving you an apology, you're like, that's not an apology. Exactly. You know, it's that, sorry, it's just, they might as well say something right. else. <laughs> so my good friend, uh, Greg Ward uh, wrote that seven steps in a book called the respectful leader. And I won't remember all of them, but it's basically you have to acknowledge that you did it. You have to make a commitment that you're going to stop doing it. And then there's a bunch of steps in there around making the commitment and demonstrating and all of that stuff. Oh, demonstrating is a good one, I think. Yeah. So it's but it's, it's basically making the commitment and then demonstrating what you are going to do so that it doesn't happen again is, is the oh. difference between, oh, I'm sorry. Brilliant. Well, Jordan, it's been an absolute pleasure today and what a book. And I love the, love the cover for those who are just listening to the audio. Yellow and black, very cool, nice striking cover. You know, if you thought this episode was useful, we are just scratching the surface. So thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This podcast is brought to you by the Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. 
You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. What is your idea worth sharing? I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to speak with you very soon.